Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. My wife and I and our family were pastoring in Elizabeth in South Australia in the northern suburbs of Adelaide. Um, we were there for seven years and Gary's laughing down the front. But um, it was a time of growth and it was a great time. But in the course of uh, ministering there, there was a lady who came to church and her husband was into some uh, bit of strange stuff. And, um, but he wanted to get with me at one stage. So we sat down and had a chat. I took an interest in this uh, man who was in his 60s at the time and uh, I asked him a few questions and he told me a a little bit about his life. What happened was when he was about eight years old, um, his mum was a single mum at the time. Uh, They were going through an extremely difficult time, he and his mother, with finances and various other things. And uh, so one day she says to him that he's going to visit. He's, uh, she's going to send him to one of the relatives. And uh, he needed to pack his bag with some clothes and take some stuff that he needed for that trip and uh, anything that he really wanted to have with him for a bit of a time. She didn't tell him how long he was going to be away or anything else like that. And uh, so she took him down to the train station. She said, I will come and meet you at the family house. That was the last time he ever saw his mother. She put him on a train, shipped him off to the family. He grew up, and uh, years later, that broken promise was still affecting him. Words can be so cheap, promises easily broken, yet our relationships depend heavily on those promises. We can be crushed and severely affected by them for years. Alternatively, we can be so encouraged, edified by someone who keeps their promises in our life and more so every day when we are in relationship with somebody and they keep their promises. I came across this interesting story about Elizabeth. She's a 26-year-old nurse in the UK and she works in a healthcare facility And it was on a website about promise cards, if you don't mind putting that one up, Trev. She had lunch uh, every day with one particular patient. In the article, Elizabeth explained her use of a promise card. She said, the only problem is the patient that I have lunch with every day is afraid I won't come back, that I'll break my promise. Therefore, uh, sorry, that I'll forget her. That's why I decided to give her a promise card. The article went on to say her gesture of giving a promise card was so important for a couple of reasons. Firstly, she believed the small moments of comfort she provided uh, patients with truly makes a difference in in the quality of their lives. But secondly, and most importantly, the elderly woman waiting to have lunch with her suffers from dementia. When Elizabeth arrived at lunch the next day and in the following days after she gave her the promise card, the woman was holding the promise card in her hand every day and she would look up at the nurse, Elizabeth, and she said, she said, you remembered. I thought about that and I thought about the power of promises kept. 
the power of a promise, how it's made, how it's kept. And I was thinking as we come into Easter, and uh, sorry, Christmas, and as you think about Easter, and as you think about communion even on a regular basis, it are, they are physical reminders. We keep these as physical reminders of what? God keeps His promises. God keeps His promises. And as we rejoice this Christmas, as we come and we enjoy our, our time together as, as family and as we come as a church family, we remember the fact that God, in Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man, so He does not lie. He is not a human, so He does not change His mind. Has He not spoke, ever spoken and failed to act? Has He ever promised and not carried it through. I love that scripture, Numbers 23, 19. God is a God that keeps His promises. I want to preach a message to you this morning with a bit of a Christmas theme about the promise keeper. Number, uh, sorry, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 11 through to 18. Hebrews 6, 11 through to 18. In the New Living Translation, it says, Our great desire is that you will... Keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not be, become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in His own name saying, I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently and he received what God had promised. Now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without question, that oath is binding. God also bound Himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we have fled to him for refuge, um, for refuge, uh, uh, re Oh, sorry. For, for, uh, sorry, I was saying refuge. and uh, That's the old King James. Therefore, we who have fled to him uh, for... I've had a taxing week. You know, have some patience with me, all right? Patient endurance, I'll get through. All right. A refuge can have co great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible to God, for God to lie. Therefore, we have fled to Him for refuge. Can, we who have fled to Him can have refuge and have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. That was pretty difficult, that last bit. Thanks very much for having patience with me. And well done, Brett. Thank you. Let's talk firstly about promises made. As Christians, we often uh, uh, talk about our faith and our relationship with a living God. And it's not about rituals and religions. I, uh, you know, uh, all the religious rituals I used to be a part of, I'm glad I'm not 
involved in that anymore. It's about relationship with the living God. And our relationship with the living God gets stronger as we get closer to God, understand God, and understand His ways. And one of the aspects of understanding God's ways is to understand His Word. We grow spiritually as we learn to know God and His Word and His ways. We also begin to understand as you grow as a Christian that the prophecies of God and the promises of God are the same. He makes promises and prophecies. So as we come into this Christmas season, I was thinking about some of the prophecies that were made about the coming of Jesus and what we celebrate at Christmas, which is the birth of the Saviour. The first one, our first prophecy, is in response to man's sin and the consequential banishment from the garden and the curse that he had placed on man, but also on the enemy. Listen to what he said in Genesis 3 and 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is a clear promise of victory by the Saviour over Satan, but a Saviour that was born of a woman. The second prophecy is the one about a virgin birth. And that's found in Isaiah 7 and 14. And that says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now the name Emmanuel means with us is God or God with us, depending on which way you read it in the Hebrew. So the promise of God is clear. Satan is going to be triumphed over by a a saviour that is born of a woman, There's going to be conflict for some time in humanity because of this curse of sin. But God is going to supernaturally bring forth a child born and conceived of a a, a, a true virgin. And this child shall be God in the flesh and will have a a sinless nature. Thirdly, the prophecy of Isaiah continues and it affirms the promise of God of the divinity of the Son of God. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's a promise from the, from the Word of God Hundreds, seven, over seven or eight hundred years before uh, the birth of Christ, that God would come in the flesh. These promises are all building to a place. The fourth prophecy I pulled out was uh, made in 722 BC, and this is about where Jesus would be born or the Saviour would be born. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrath, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from distant past. Here, the prophecy says it's going to be in a small, insignificant village called Bethlehem. Fifthly, the Messiah will be the heir of David's throne. He will be a descendant of Abraham and David. Isaiah 9, 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. Now, you and I don't always like reading the uh, lineages 
uh, that are detailed for us in the Bible, be it in Matthew or Luke, or even going back into Numbers. But as much as we don't like it, those lineages are important. And if you trace back, <coughs> excuse me, if you trace back, you'll see that the lineages of, of Christ go all the way back uh, through to David, through uh, uh, along the line uh, in the heritage of, da- of uh, Joseph and Mary. And this is God keeping his promise that there would be a saviour born in the lineage of David. Sixthly, the star. It was prophesied for us in Numbers 24 and 17. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not near. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. All these prophecies uh, and all these promises of God uh, are to do with the birth of Christ and the wise men who came from the east, studied the Scriptures, studied what was said, including the Scriptures uh, and promises of God in regards to Daniel that he prophesied. And so there are far more than I can say this morning, but it is sufficient for me to say you would do well to learn the promises of God. You and I, individually, learning the promises of God from His Word because God makes them for a reason. He gives them to us for a reason. They are there so that we can cling to those and find an anchor for our soul. Secondly, I want to talk to you about promises inherited or in in layman's term, living in those promises. The writer of Hebrews warns, firstly, in, in my text, that there is a danger of becoming, of, of spiritual wandering, where you become dull and indifferent to the promises and prophecies of the Bible. You and I can get so hung up on the commercialism of Christmas. I mean, some years I have been absolutely ticked off by the time Christmas comes. I've just about had, when I was working as a courier and I would have to battle through the shopping centres, dragging a trolley full of boxes and everybody's pushing me, getting upset with me because I'm cutting them off with my trolley. I mean, Christmas can be a hang-up if you let it get to you. But let's not become spiritually dull or sluggish in the... In the New, uh, New English translation, it says, so that you, do not, that you may not become sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and perseverance inherit the promises. I look at this portion of Scripture in Hebrews, and there is so much to do with eternal life and the promise of eternal life. And the writer of Hebrews is bringing out so many of the promises of God and talking about the Uh, the immutability in the old King James, the immutability or the unchanging nature of God's promises. He's trying to stir Christians, don't become spiritually dull, indifferent and sluggish towards the promises of God. As believers in Christ, we need to know what the Word of God says. We need to know personally, not just what we're told from the pulpit, what you get from a home, a life group, or what you may get from some uh, study, uh, you know, that's given to you over the internet. 
you and I need to inherit the promises of God, take a hold of that inheritance and make them real for you. They're not just written for just a, a good read, right? The promises of God are there for you and I to possess. God has given them as an inheritance and He wants us to possess them. The great example is Abraham, who believed God beyond the limitation of his age. That's why the, why the writer of Hebrews includes Abraham in this, in this story, in this portion of Scripture. Abraham lived every day with the expectancy that God would bring forth an heir and fulfill the promise. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 18, it says, For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Abraham lived every day expecting that God was going to fulfill his promise. He didn't know when it was going to happen. He just knew it was going to happen. I read a story some years ago about a man who had... Um, uh, was living on his own in the back blocks of Montana. I can't even do a Montana accent, so I won't try. But this critter was living out there in the middle of nowhere. And the, and the story goes, as the story goes, I think it was in the early 1900s, he was eking, double E-K-I-N-G, what a word, eking, eking out an existence. He was impoverished. He was basically living hand, hand, to, hand, to, hand to mouth. He didn't have enough to eat. He was a farmer who's struggling. And um, one day he gets a message uh, that a relative of his had passed away in England some 10 years earlier. It took the lawyers 10 years to find this relative in the back blocks of Montana. They came to him and they said to him, you've got an inheritance. He found out that basically he was the equivalent of a millionaire. Here he was, without the knowledge of his inheritance, he's eking out an existence. How often do Christians eke out a spiritual existence because they are ignorant of the promises of God for them? By the way, he just packed up and went to England. The interviewer said, what are you going to do now? He said, I'm going. See, I'm off. I'm <laughs> In the newspaper, made the local newspaper. And he took off and went to England and claimed his inheritance. Can I encourage you to claim the inheritance that is in the Word of God for you, that you become a miner of the Word of God? that you go mining the Word of God, that you open your ears and your heart in prayer, open the Word of God and say, God, what are you saying to me today? To some, it's a revelation that the promises of God are their inheritance, that they can actually live in the power of those promises, to have faith in those promises and to possess them. Paul teaching the Galatians, about their inheritance or the promises of God. He goes on in Galatians 4 and verse 1. He says, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. 
until they grow up. Grow up, Christian. Get a hold of your inheritance in Christ. Grow in the promises of God and the ways of God. That God's not holding things back. He's waiting for you to take hold of those promises and begin to pray them through in your life and live in the power of them. Verse 7 of Galatians 4 says, You are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are His child, God has made you His heir. Part of the struggle as we, as Christians, is sometimes we don't feel like an heir. We don't feel very victorious. And some of us actually think, why would God bless me? How can I possess those promises? I don't even come to church every week. I don't pray as often as I should. I haven't read the Bible in about six months. Why would God bless me? Hey, Christians, start living as a child of the King. Start filling your mind with the promises of God. And start seeing yourself as an heir of those promises. And guess what? Start rejoicing in them. Stop your whinging about those people in the shopping centre and how you can't get a car park. <laughs> My wife is notorious. She'll go into a car park and she'll say, yes, Lord, I need a car park, please. And away it goes, open up, the car park opens up. Lo and behold, she's possessing her inheritance. Hallelujah. <laughs> And she goes and spends my credit card money. Amen. (laughs) And she's saying right now, I earn my money. (laughs) Rejoice in the promises of God. Possess them. Rejoice in the grace of God that you don't earn these things. He's given them to you. You're His heir. It's a right of birth. The new birth. Being born again birth. Spiritual birth. We're heirs. We need to start living like that. The writer of Hebrews does include a little proviso in Hebrews 6.15 and he says, And so by persevering, Abraham inherited the promise. In verse 15 in the New King James it says, He waited patiently or endured patiently. That is not the modern understanding of inheritance. I've got a bad story about that because my stepfather, he uh, was one of uh, seven. And as my, grand, my step-grandfather, his father was uh, getting closer. He was up around the 90 years old. Most of the, the, my, my stepfather's siblings were saying, can't wait till dad dies. He got into a fight. My stepfather got into a fight with, my, with, with, with one of his brothers. I mean, fisticuffs in their late 60s because my stepfather said, you guys are, what are you doing wanting my dad to die? Well, that house is worth a million or so, you know, the one he's living in. So he got into an argument and they were having a fist on. I was thinking about that. Some people are inherently impatient. 
You and I, are you talking about me? Lee's laughing at me. <laughs> you and I need to be patiently enduring the, uh, uh, this, inherit, this idea of the inheritance. Abraham had to wait 20-something years to get his inheritance. David Guzik said, a season of patient endurance is a time of spiritual attack. It seems that we may never obtain our inheritance. Abraham would never have inherited that, the promise of God unless he daily held on to that promise. Daily believe God. That's why he's called the father of faith. He lived in the hope of that promise. He lived in the promises of God and he took God at his word. Practically in prayer, we can cry out to God and say, God, I am going to believe you every day of my life for the promises. You can quote the Word of God. It's not a mantra, but it is a, a faith declaration of our intention to believe God regardless of what we see and feel. We're going to believe God for His promises. I love Romans 8.37. It tells me that I'm more than a conqueror. And I personalise it. Breck Gaffney is more than a conqueror, even though I feel lousy some mornings. Ephesians 3.20, Now unto him who was able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can think or ask. God, I believe you to do that for us. That's what I pray. Regardless of, how, of what we see or what we, uh, what we don't see, you need to rejoice in the promises of God, claim them for yourself, live in that inheritance. Even when life is hard, we can still live in those promises. You know, I was thinking about Genesis chapter 22. God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, up on that hill and I want you to sacrifice him. I want you to go and sacrifice him. Hebrews 11 takes this up and tells us in verse 17 to 19, it says, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told, had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if, God, if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. I love that term, Abraham reasoned. He was being tested, but in his mind he said, if God brought forth this promise, this inheritance, he brought, gave me this, man, this young man Isaac, he can raise him from the dead if I have to put him on the, on the altar of sacrifice. Be a thinking Christian. Grab the promises of God and think them through and say, God, this may not seem rational, but I'm going to possess my inheritance. I'm going to believe the promises regardless of how hard it gets. Abraham is a powerful example of somebody who chose to be a man that believed God's promises and that he was a keeper of those promises. In Romans 4, 20 and 21, it says of Abraham again, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. 
being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform. As heirs of the promises of God, there is an abundance of promises that you can personalize and take hold of. And verse 15 says, this is why he is the one, in Hebrews 9, the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. Thirdly and finally, I want to close with the idea of promises kept. The Lord God Almighty is the great promise keeper. If he said it, he meant it, and if he meant it, he'll do it. God has fulfilled his promises, he is fulfilling his promises, and he will fulfill his promises. Isaiah 9 and verse 7, I love it in the New Living Translation. Listen to this, his government and, his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. Listen to this. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make it happen. God is passionately committed to fulfilling his promises. Abraham is known as a friend of God because he believed that if God said it, God would do it. The centerpiece of that relationship from Abraham's perspective was having faith in God's promises. I want to encourage you today, have faith in the promises of God that God has put down both in His Word and what God has spoken to you, to your heart. Verse 13, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. God's promise to Abraham is, I will bless you. You shall be a father of nations. When you look at the mission work that has been carried on for the last 2,000 years and how the word of God has been spread across the globe, there are children of faith in God everywhere. And that promise is still being fulfilled today. Hebrews 6 and 17, God also bound himself with an oath so that those who had received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Verse 18, in which it is impossible for God to lie. I love these, this text. It's so rich and encouraging for us. You can be perfectly sure that God will never change his mind. He is the great promise keeper. When I think about Simeon, on the Christian, on the Christmas theme. It's a, a bit after Christmas when Simeon comes on the scene, but in Luke chapter 2, 25 to 30, it says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Everybody knew what that term, consolation of Israel, meant. It meant the coming of the Messiah to comfort the misery of God's people. When you read that, it takes in this great meaning that they were waiting for the consolation, the relief of misery for God's people. And it goes on and he says, And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. It was promised to him. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus, uh, brought in the child Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, 
He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. The promise, of, the promise to Simeon was fulfilled because God is a promise keeper. In times and seasons determined by God, he will keep his promise. Galatians 4 and 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that he, we might receive the adoption as sons. Adoption, inheritance, follow that theme. That word fullness in the Greek gives you a picture of being a container that's fully complete, fully filled. Solomon also declared for us in 1 Kings, 8 and 56. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. There has not failed one word of all of his good promises which he promised to the, uh, through his servant Moses. Solomon declares there was not one word that God had failed to fulfill in his promise. History revealed it over and over again. And then in 2 Corinthians 1.20 it says, For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for His glory. Here we see a yes that should be spoken by you and I. God fulfills His promises. Can anybody say yes or amen? You're still awake. I haven't put you to sleep. Glory to God. I want to just pull apart that verse 18 just for a moment. It says, as I close, so God has given both his promise and oath. Firstly, oath in the Greek is the word herkos. It means a fence or a limit, a restraint. God's oath is restraining on him. He is bound by it. He puts a fence around himself and says, I'm not going outside this oath. This oath restrains me to do, fulfill it. Then the promise is a Greek word that basically means an announcement or a message or a divine assurance of something good. So God says in a double, in a double emphasis, I'm announcing to you with a divine assurance of something good, I am bound to fulfill my promise. And when God says that, He's going to bring it to pass. That's why in verse 19, the writer of Hebrews says, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for your soul. What destroys us is broken promises. What gives us an anchor in times of difficulty are the, uh, is the hope and the, and the confidence and the faith that God answers His prayers, our prayers, and God fulfills His promises. In one article I was reading this day, it says, This Christmas Day, more than 2,000 years ago, the birth of Jesus, remember the prophecies, the genealogies, the miracles, and the fulfilment of the promised birth of, of the Messiah. Remember and rejoice in the fact that He is the promise keeper. I've shared it before, but I, I feel like I need to share it again. We came to Perth in 
2004. Yeah, 2004. We'd been in Adelaide. We'd been there for seven years. During that time, it was the teenage years. And in the teenage years, those kids go all wandering, they do. And uh, our son went wandering. At one stage, to try and preserve his life, um, I shipped him off to Brisbane. He was a working age, so he went and lived with his, his aunt. We moved to Perth with our two daughters, and my wife was distraught for some time. We were hearing stories about what he was doing, but we had no idea, but we had a good idea. Turned out he was selling drugs, running from coppers, doing stuff. In prayer one morning, my wife is crying out to God and she felt like Queensland, which is 3,000 kilometres away. It's too far away. How do we reach him? How do you reach him? Someone in the prayer room came up to my wife and shared this scripture from Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 16. My wife had just been praying, God, he's so far away and he's backslidden. How's he ever going to come back? Listen to the promise that my, that my wonderful God gave my wonderful wife. But now this is what the Lord says. Do not weep any longer. She'd just been pouring her heart out, crying in the prayer room. For I will reward you, says the Lord. Your children will come back to you from, a dis- from the distant land of the enemy. My wife began to pray that scripture every morning and claim that promise over my son. I think it was just about, it was within 12 months, maybe it was a couple of months, we get a phone call from my son over in Queensland. How's it going in Perth, Dad? Yeah, good, son. Yeah, I was thinking about coming over. I said, sure. I haven't got any money. What day do you want to fly, son? We had frequent flyer airfares at the time. I'd been, I was doing um, itinerant evangelism, so I was flying all over the place. So, he, um, so I flew him over on frequent flyer points. And he came over and he stayed in our house. And he decided to move to Perth, but he had to go back to Brisbane and sort out some stuff. And long story short, he moved back to Perth. It wasn't a really good story for a lot of reasons. He eventually got saved, went back into the mines, went back into sin, ended up running from the cops over here, got chased. It was on the news one night. We were over in South Africa preaching the gospel and my daughter rings me up. We had to get Dan out of jail. (laughs) And uh, come back, went to court with him. Eventually... One night, we had some special meetings on at the church we were attending and we didn't even know he turned up. And we get a phone call on our way home. Where are you guys? I said, we're on our way home. He said, well, I answered the altar call and got saved tonight. Gave his life to Jesus. And I I think all the way back to that promise of God that God gave my wife in that prayer room that, he, that God would bring 
our son back from the land of the enemy, from a far country. And that's what I call possessing the promises of God. That's what I call rejoicing in a God that honours His promises and fulfills His promises. Give God glory. Praise God. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.